I want to begin this morning. Uh, this is our final message on the series and the Beatitudes. And, you know, it's, it's only the final one because this is the last Beatitude. So I, I can't do anything about extending the message when this is the last one. However, what I want to do is I, I want to take this first opportunity and share with you a couple of stories that I feel like really, um, that really explain this final beatitude, this final blessing that Jesus offers in Matthew chapter 5. And these couple of stories um, I've borrowed from, a, um, from an organization called Voice of the Martyrs. You may have heard of this organization. Uh, they, they send out a publication called Voice of the Martyrs, and it's specifically a voice for those who are persecuted across the world because of their faith. And this first one that I ran across, now to be fair, if you are with Voice of the Martyrs online, I apologize, I did not get your permission, but I figured that giving this airtime for people who are persecuted across the world to let our family of Christ know that there are others that are being, um, that are being ill-treated because of their faith, that we raise awareness and that we bring up um, these people in prayer or um, I just I hope that that's what this does for us I hope that it, it 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 unifies us in seeing the things the atrocities that are going on for people in um, in our faith when pastor Arjun a a Christian convert from Hinduism proposed to his wife Radha and Arjun is there on the right holding the little girl Radha is the woman in the middle with the black scarf on he made sure that she knew what to expect. He said, I'm a minister and I have been attacked many times. He told her, in the future, you may also be attacked. I may go to jail. Sometimes we will have food and sometimes we will not. This will be the life. Radha accepted his proposal without flinching and she stated, live or die, I will live for Christ. And this second story is a man named Ramzi. Ramzi left Islam about eight years ago. The persecution he faced in the Middle Eastern country, in his Middle Eastern country, started out small. Muslims would call him names. They would call him infidel, and he would receive frequent threats. Then, as the former sheikh began boldly sharing the gospel and leading Muslims to Christ, he was occasionally attacked and beaten, which he expected as a follower of Jesus. What he didn't expect was seeing his 15-year-old son, Sami, lying unconscious in an intensive care unit after being violently attacked simply because his father refused to deny Christ. Now, these two stories are what we would consider extreme examples, far extreme examples of persecution, of torture of death of doing without physiologically because of their faith and specifically I want to raise up these two stories and there's there's dozens more if not hundreds more if you were to just search for them on places like voice of the martyrs but Jesus specifically speaks about the blessing that the persecuted are guaranteed 
because of their persecution. And that is the final blessing in the Beatitudes, the eighth one. It's the most lengthy one, as the ones that we have gone through before, uh, Matthew, um, in Matthew chapter 5. The first seven have been fairly short. They've been kind of one-liners. But this one particular one, the blessed are the persecuted, gets a lot more airtime from Jesus. And I think there's a reason for that. Because in a sense, it almost let it encapsulate it, encapsulates the previous seven into what to expect as followers of Christ. And Jesus states this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on. Usually in the other blessings, he stops there. But in this particular one, he continues on. He said, blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, Jesus' final blessing seems to be more personalized than the previous blessings. If you'll notice back through the other Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are those, blessed are those. So the, the disciples who are there hearing his teaching are probably including themselves in a larger group of people. And as we've talked about before, Jesus is preaching amidst a large group of people that have gathered at the foot of this mountain looking for Christ to heal him, looking for Christ to, to bring them wholeness and to, to save them from the Romans. So in a lot of ways, the other blessings, as Jesus is saying, blessed are those, the disciples are probably saying, you know what, maybe he's talking about these people, maybe he's talking about us, but we're kind of all kind of included in this group. But what Jesus does in this last beatitude is he personalizes it. He starts out with blessed are those who will be persecuted. And then he says in verse 11, blessed are you. And then all of a sudden the disciples go, who, me? You know, all of a sudden it becomes very personal. Where they go, oh, he's, he's talking to me. He's saying that I am going to. To be persecuted. And he said, just as the prophets were persecuted before you, so you can expect the same thing. And this persecution, when we look throughout Scripture, specifically in the Old Testament, before Christ arrives onto the scene, we see areas of persecution. People who were persecuted, people who were beaten and killed, and excommunicated because of their faith, because of their relationship with God. In fact, we were just studying one on Wednesday night. We're studying one on Wednesday night as we're going through the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, we read about Mordecai in Esther chapter 3, verse 2. It says, all the royal officials at the king's gate, they knelt down and paid honor to Haman, who was the, the king had had." Uh, had, had made Haman a royal official and therefore had given him the authority to be bowed down and worshipped as a deity. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. And as you go through the book of Esther, you recognize that Haman had it out for Mordecai because he would not bow down to him. In fact, he promised not only to kill Mordecai, but also his entire, his entire race, the Jewish people. 
or I'm sure you've heard about this one when you were, maybe when you were a kid or even lately as you've been studying through the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We recognize that there's been, there was major persecution there. If you remember that story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would not bow down to the, to the golden uh, statues, to the golden idol of Nebuchadnezzar. And one of, the, one of my favorite lines, one of my favorite lines in all of Scripture is the, the absolute um, certainty that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had in their faith and in their God. And they said this in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 through 18. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the image of gold that you have set up. And if you'll remember the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were bound and tr- thrown into the fiery furnace. I'll let you, if you haven't read this story, find out what the results of that was. And then Daniel himself. I'm sure that we remember the story as a kid. Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel in chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. After, um, after the king had uh, issued an edict for all people to worship him as deity. Daniel goes back to his room and he continues his love, his honor, his worship to the one true true God. Daniel chapter 6 says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open toward Jerusalem and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And the rest of the story was Daniel was found out He was carried before the king, and he was thrown into the lion's den for his faithfulness, for his righteousness. And again, if you don't know the end of this story, I'm going to leave that to you to read that and find out how God works within that magnificent story. You see, persecution... Persecution in its most basic definition merely means just the hostility, the ill treatment... Of a person that can it can range from mild forms of name calling, like we read in some of the other stories there from Voice of the Martyrs, all the way to physical harmful attacks. And persecution is is this um, is this harmful treatment of a person for a specific reason. You are persecuted because you are a certain religion. You're persecuted because you are a certain race. You're persecuted because you have a certain language that is different from the rest. And Jesus makes a designation and he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. You see, that's the persecution that Christ wanted us to focus on in this beatitude. He doesn't want us to focus necessarily on the levels of persecution, not the severities of persecution. But what he wants us to focus on is that word righteousness. If you're going to suffer, albeit in our eyes, on a lesser or a greater level, it must be for that one thing. And I believe that that one thing is, ble- is best explained by um, the author of the New American Commentary, the, just a little blurb from, um, from Craig Blumberg, 
about this particular verse. And he says this. He says, the only persecution that is blessed, according to Christ, is that which stems from allegiance to Jesus and living in conformity with his standards. I'm going to read that again. I want you to read that with me. The only persecution that is blessed is one that stems from allegiance to Jesus and living in a conformity with his standards. You see, if we look at that uh, through a microscope, we recognize that righteousness is actually a pretty, a pretty narrow definition. A pretty narrow def- definition in meaning uh, it's according to Christ's righteousness, according to God's righteousness in Christ, in conformity with the standards and the teachings of Jesus. That is the persecution when it comes to the righteous that Jesus says is blessed. You see, righteousness, I believe, is the word that we have to focus on because that's the part that I believe focuses on Christ in that blessing. Because the opposite of the righteousness that Jesus speaks about, the righteousness of Jesus, is self-righteousness. Now, I'm, don't have, I'm not telling you anything new here, but I'm maybe bringing to light something that you haven't thought about. There's a lot of persecution that goes on in this world today and has for many, many years, hundreds and thousands of years. But I'm willing to say that there's a very small fraction of that persecution that happens specifically because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, when we look at someone who's being persecuted, in my mind, I go, is that person being persecuted because of self-righteousness to bring some form of glorification or self-recognition on himself? Or are they truly being persecuted because of who they are in Christ? And let me explain to you what I mean by that. In today's age, and there have been for many years, there are people that put themselves intentionally in harm's way for the sake of the gospel as Christians with this gospel message, speaking it out and preaching it, putting them place themselves on platforms and in the midst of groups in order to draw, in order to draw um, focus, not necessarily on Christ, but to draw focus on themselves. You see, those people who go looking for a fight, they go looking for confrontation, they usually take a camera with them. Or they make sure that there's someone there to to record it all and to get it on social media these days. You know, they're, they're more controversial in public than they are in private. Looking at a way to draw draw. Um, eyes on themselves rather than Christ. They use social and political platforms in the name of our faith just so they can draw ire from the public. And then they turn around and they credit that to persecution. And they say, see, see what happened to me? See what happened to me? I was persecuted because of my faith. And I don't believe that at all is what Jesus had in mind 
Because Jesus had spent the entire first bit of his Beatitudes talking about specific qualities of people and the blessings that those people would have. He had already talked about the people who were poor in spirit, the meek. He'd already talked about those who seek righteousness. He'd already talked about those who were merciful, those were, who were peacemakers. Now that, to me, doesn't sound like anybody that is going out looking for a fight. Because Jesus himself, he was the perfect example of all of these things. He was the peacemaker. He was the, the, the righteous he was the meek he was the poor in spirit he was the one that depended on God and lived for God for every single breath of his life here on earth he didn't seek to draw name to himself in fact every time we see Jesus giving credit to anyone he gives credit to the father and he doesn't go out publicly and tries to create a stir. In fact, if you look at half, I would say more than half, almost every single uh, confrontation that Christ has with other people, when he's healing people, when he's telling them about the kingdom, what does he say? Don't go and, and spread all this. Don't go and tell anybody. All right? Keep this to yourself. This is personal. I don't want this to get out. I don't want, people, I don't want to try to draw eyes on myself. I don't want to try to, to draw people in, to, to looking at me and missing the righteousness of God. You see, the humble, when they are persecuted for the righteousness of Jesus, they keep the focus squarely on glorifying Christ. In fact, I'd be willing to say that that those who are truly persecuted because of their righteousness, because of their, their living out their relationship with Christ, I'd be willing to say that 95% that of them do it without anyone even knowing. Mostly because it's done in private. And because these humble people, they keep these, they keep these events and these situations to themselves. They recognize that this is a, a very personal, a very intimate thing between themselves and God. See, the persecution that people are receiving that Jesus blessed is those who are persecuted for his righteousness, not our self-righteousness. And if we're persecuted for Jesus' righteousness, and if it often goes unnoticed or if it should more often go unnoticed because it happens to people who are humble, who are giving credit to him, then I would be willing to say that most persecution that happens according to what Jesus is talking about and those who are blessed because of that persecution is something that's very personal and very intimate between the persecuted and God himself. And I'm not just pulling that out of thin air. In fact, the Apostle Peter talks about this very thing. The Apostle Peter says in chapter 1, verse 6 through 7, Rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, through, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, Peter is personalizing this. He's saying this is, a, this is a, a personal act of refining 
in your life and in my life. When persecution comes, as Peter is saying, God is using this as kind of the refiner's fire, the testing of our faith. How committed are you to your faith? Are you willing to apostatize for the sake of your own life, for, the own, for your own security, for your own safety, for your own health? It's almost as if God is giving these people who are persecuted a personal test, not merely to just make it into the headlines of the newspapers so that we can go, oh, look what's happening all over the world with these gigantic uh, masses of people. You see what's happening to those families in India and in the Middle East, what's happening to you and I, even on a lesser scale here today, it's very personal and it's private. It's God using that opportunity to refine you and I. And Jesus was kind enough to give us a warning to say it's coming. And if it hasn't come already, it's coming. It might be some name calling. You might be ostracized. You might be excommunicated. You might not be liked by your neighbor. Or you may be beaten. Or even worse. You see, what I believe that Peter is trying to say is God is doing through this persecution. As he's taken this this personal interest in those who are persecuted and preparing them for this inheritance that Jesus has promised, the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. You see, because there's one central figure in the kingdom of heaven, and who is that? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the central figure in the kingdom of heaven, and what God is doing through this refiner's fire in the midst of our existence right now in the world is he's preparing us to make sure that we don't go into the kingdom with a focus on anything else other than Christ. And if that means that we have to receive some, some persecution to be refined, to, to, be, to be boiled down to the nothingness of a human being and be built up in the spirit so that we look at only Christ, then that's what God will do. Peter goes on and says in chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, he says, even if you should suffer for what is right, and he echoes Christ here, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Don't be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. This is what God is doing in these times of persecution. God is breaking us down so that there is one thing and one thing only that we have to focus on to sustain us. And that is the lordship of his son, Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in, verse, in, excuse me, in chapter 4, verse 12 through 16, he says, don't be surprised when this fiery ordeal. Now, when we read that fiery ordeal, if we haven't read the previous section, the first thing that we want to jump to is that this fiery ordeal is the persecution. But that's not what Peter's talking about. This fiery ordeal, this is the, the, um, the crucible. This is the refiner's fire. This refinement, don't be surprised when this refinement comes to you and tests you 
as if something unusual were happening. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. Preparing us for God's glory in his kingdom where Jesus reigns supreme. Verse 14, if you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests on you. Those are things worth suffering for. Peter goes on to say in 15, these are things not worth suffering for. Don't suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, as a meddler. But if you're going to be persecuted, be persecuted for the righteousness of Christ. Verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. You see, persecution signifies a God who is intentionally involved in every personal life. It's it's signifying his purifying presence. For me, it's between he and I. When, When I am persecuted, it's God being active in my life and purifying me so I'm not focused on on my health, on my desires, on, my, on my, um, my comfort, so that I turn and I turn and I focus my everything, my hope, my expectations on Christ. It's not God's uncaring absence. It's not the fact that he's turned his back on those who are persecuted. It's actually his purifying presence that is there. And that's why Peter says, rejoice when you receive these persecutions because you are being refined. We read in Acts chapter 5 that the disciples walked out of the Sanhedrin after they had been flogged for their faith. And what did they leave doing? Rejoicing. They left rejoicing because they were seen to be honored by God for being able to receive persecution in his name that they were being refined that they were being prepared for this kingdom of heaven which is what Jesus promised in all of the other beatitudes I've taken a liberty to write my own synopsis or commentary at the end on what this means but I believe this one Jesus speaks well for himself and I just want to merely pop that back up there Matthew chapter 5 verse 10 through 12 blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness blessed are those who are persecuted because of being faithful to Jesus Christ not for being forceful, not for being belligerent, not for going and looking for a fight or conflict, but because of your genuine, humble obedience to Christ. Blessed are those, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are you. And it's as if Jesus is saying that to me. Blessed are you, Jeff, when people insult you, when they persecute you, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And I believe we all know that in the same way they persecuted our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we don't need to look any further than than his example alone of being persecuted for righteousness. We see a sacrificial lamb who stood in the midst of his accusers with his mouth shut. Not one causing a fuss, not one up there on a soapbox preaching and receiving all kinds of, you know, um, floggings because of things that he said or places or, or intentional situations he put himself in to be persecuted. He was led by God the Father into those places. He kept his mouth shut. He recognized that his righteousness stood alone and God received the glory for everything that was done to him as he was merely humble and obedient unto the point of death. In fact, he stood in the presence of Pontius Pilate and he didn't even defend himself you know for us I hope that we look at the ways that we are persecuted albeit the on the lower end of the spectrum a little bit of name calling a little bit of razzing maybe some um, you know you don't get the um, you don't get to share into some of the, the, the excitement and, the, and the, uh, um, the joys of, of this particular life because of your faith. And that we look at Christ and we go, that is, that's the perfect example of being persecuted for righteousness. And I'm only going to speak when God prompts me to speak. I'm not going to intentionally put myself in harm's way and conflict's way because that, that would just draw all eyes to me. But yet on a spiritual, personal level, when I'm persecuted because of my faith in Christ, then the only one that receives the glory and the honor is Jesus Christ himself. Every week, we receive the Lord's Supper as a church. And not just as partnership, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is an an open table. It's an open table for those who have proclaimed Jesus Christ as their Lord, who follow him as their Lord and Savior, and that recognize his lordship in their life. When I say it's an open table, I mean it doesn't belong to partnership, it belongs to Jesus Christ. And in the same way, it's kind of symbolic in us sharing in some of Jesus' sufferings. Recognizing that we, every time we take this bread, we proclaim a broken body. We proclaim a, a, a shed blood. A persecution for righteousness. And Jesus said in other places that if if they did this to the Son of Man, they will do it to you. 
But he said, rejoice when that happens because you're being refined. Because the things of this world and your personal human desires are being broke down and your focus is drifting from yourself to that of Jesus Christ, the one Lord and Savior of the kingdom of heaven in whom he promised would be our inheritance for those who are persecuted for their righteousness. This morning as we take the bread and cup, I want us to focus specifically on Jesus' mode and method of being persecuted for his righteousness, for who he was in God the Father. And let us equate those very things in our own lives, the, the same mentality, the same approach to persecution that Jesus had in his life. Let us equate that in our lives on how we approach persecution, on how we receive it, on how we define it in our lives, and even how we interpret it. That God's refining us, that God is making us like him. Father, we're grateful for your son Jesus Christ, for the body and the blood that he shed for us. Lord, as we take this meal, I pray that we, we, we stay squarely focused on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The righteous way in which he allowed himself to be persecuted, to be sacrificed, to be murdered on our behalf. So that no one looked to the man but looked to the God that he was Father I pray that for each of us when we take this bread in the cup we recognize that we too will receive some form of persecution for our faith Will we do it humbly? Will we receive it quietly? Deflecting all attention from ourselves to you? Or will we put our name on a billboard? Will we allow our persecution to be published and publicized? To draw eyes upon ourselves? Father, I pray that we all take Christ's example that we follow in his footsteps and therefore receive the promised blessing of being persecuted for righteousness the kingdom of heaven where Jesus Christ reigns supreme it's in his name I pray amen let's eat together